Good morning to you. Good morning, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. We have a short show today. I will not be on with you long, but it is Finance Friday, Get Free Friday. We've mainly uh, this season been focusing on getting free in our finances and understanding some things about the tax system. We have been reading from The Whiteness of Wealth by Dorothy A. Brown, how the tax system impoverishes black Americans and how we can fix it. But I would venture to say that some of the things that she is covering in her book really apply to just tax knowledge and education for everyone. Um, But yeah, so Again, we're doing a short show today, so I will not be on longer than 10 minutes for my reading, and then I want to going to be off by 11.30 because I am getting ready to take care of some self-care <laughs> on today, and in order to do that, I can't do a long show. So, we are in the chapter, The Best Jobs, and we are looking at the phenomenon of occupational segregation and how when you don't have or when you're not in the quote-unquote best job sector of the labor force and workforce you tend to lose out on some of the benefits that help to increase your wealth so that's what we talked about last time and we are going to continue um, here talking about occupational segregation And then we are going to move into um, what happens with withdrawals. You need to make withdrawals. So we'll get jump a little bit into that conversation. So let me get started. Occupational segregation also refutes one of the fundamental assumptions behind the joint return discussed in chapter one, horizontal equity. Horizontal equity treats two households with the same income as equal and requires that they pay the same amount in taxes. I've demonstrated that a household where one partner earns $70,000 and the other stays home is very different from a household where both partners earn $35,000 each. However, Occupational segregation reveals that a black household where each partner earns $35,000 is also different from a white household with the same income distribution. Black workers and white workers earning the same salary are rarely true peers because of the different ways black and white workers are hired and compensated. A black worker and a white worker may earn each $35,000, for example, but the black worker is statistically more likely to be a contract employee, which means they're missing out on the additional one third of compensation that comes through retirement benefits and health insurance. Or if both are full-time employees with the same salary package and benefits package, a black worker is likely to be better educated and more qualified than the white worker earning the same amount. But because the black worker was hired into a lower level, lower paying position, it's taken them more time to advance and earn the same salary the white worker receives. It is not comparing apples to apples. 
Built into the idea of horizontal equity is the idea that the labor market is race neutral, and we know that nothing could be further from the truth based on the data. This is also, again, why some of these conversations that are being had between black men and black women about income and status and who's high value and who's not make absolutely no sense when you start looking at this kind of data. So we're having very superficial conversations around topics that need more dissection and more nuance and definitely including more data. Just saying. Nevertheless, the lucky full-time employee who does receive health and pension benefits is theoretically well positioned to avoid wealth depletion and begin wealth accumulation. The best type of retirement account, the defined benefit plan my father had, is increasingly a relic of the past. Remember, it guarantees a retirement payout regardless of the amount contributed, which means the employer takes on the risk of how the funds are invested, putting the financial burden on them rather than the employee. The most common type of retirement plan available today is the defined contribution plan, most commonly referred to as a 401k. If your employer sponsors one and you decide to participate, you agree that a certain portion of your salary will be placed tax-free into your retirement account. If you are lucky enough to have an employer match it, then your employer will pay additional funds up to a certain amount. However, defined contribution plans only guarantee that an employee will have whatever money remains in the account at retirement based on the employee's investment decisions. If the employee makes what turns out to be poor investment choices or is just unlucky, then they will have little to no retirement funds. And while employers often match contributions, the burden of the funding of the plan remains on employees. If the employees don't contribute, the employers don't match. In 2013, 51.3% of American workers had access to a retirement plan sponsored by their employer or union. Of that group, only 40.8% participated. What this means is that the majority of Americans, black and white, are facing retirement without an employer-provided cushion. But the future is particularly bleak for black employees. In every field and at every salary level, black workers are less likely than their white counterparts to participate in an employer-sponsored retirement plan. When, do they, when they do participate, they have lower account balances even when they are in the same salary range as their white peers. Why? If black workers can beat the odds and get a salaried job with benefits, why wouldn't they have the same retirement outcomes as their white colleagues? The shifting corporate landscape in which companies increasingly look for ways to hire without benefits or to offer a benefit plan that costs them less is one factor. Another is the shrinking of the public sector. Overall, Half of the white workers, 50.8%, and less than half of black workers, 42.4%, have a retirement account provided by their employer or union. But those numbers look very different if we break them out according to whether the employer is private or public. In the public sector, 77% of white workers and 67% of black workers participate in a retirement program. 
Many of them enjoy defined benefit plans like my father's, which guarantee a certain amount of income in retirement. Chris, the behavioral health counselor and former Argosy student, has worked in both the public and private sectors and has defined contribution retirement plans. Her mother, who worked in the public sector, had a defined benefit plan and is now the only one of her friends who is able to retire. This generational shift isn't unusual. While most government jobs still offer defined benefit plans, cuts to federal agency budgets have made those jobs harder to obtain. The federal government is at its lowest levels of employment as a percentage of total workers since 1952 and state and local government since the mid to late 1960s. That leaves the private sector, where the majority of both black and white college graduates begin their careers. While government employees can generally count on having access to a retirement plan, the same is not true for their private sector peers. In the private sector, 56.2% of white workers and 50% of black workers have access to a retirement plan through their employer. Perhaps even more striking is that of these employees with access, 45.8% of whites and only 36.6% of black people participate. And when you examine participation rates, account balances, and withdrawals through a black and white lens, the magnitude of the wealth gap grows increasingly clear. Participation rates alone reveal the power individual companies have in decreasing or maintaining the black-white wealth gap among their employees. An Ariel Aon Hewitt study in 2012 analyzed the records of 2.4 million employees who work for 60 of the largest U.S. companies from a variety of industries. They found that while retirement account balances do vary by race, participation rates corresponded to company practice rather than income. At companies that have automatic enrollment, where workers are enrolled in company retirement plans by default, black and white participation was comparable at 82% versus 85%. The gap was larger 64% for black workers compared to 77% for white workers at companies without automatic enrollment. Among low salaried workers subject to automatic enrollment, the gap was virtually non-existent. Still, we should expect to see better results for the subgroup of black employees included in the study. Since they work for some of the largest companies in the country, which tend to provide the greatest benefits and highest wages. If these companies offer best benefit packages and also use these practices like automatic enrollment, why don't participation rates and retirement account balances of black workers match those of white workers? At every income level, the balances of white workers' retirement accounts are outstripping those of the black workers. Even at the lowest household income levels, the balances of accounts held by whites are almost double the balance of accounts held by blacks. While the gap narrows as the income grows, even at the highest household incomes, the balances of white workers' accounts were almost one and a half times higher than the balances of, white, of black workers. 
Now, conservatives might argue that this is all a matter of priorities, that Black Americans aren't saving for retirement because they're too busy spending their money on the wrong things, like expensive sneakers or fancy cars. But in truth, is that when it comes to clothing, jewelry, personal care, entertainment, eating out, and other non-essential spending, findings show that Black consumers, in fact, spend the same or much less than whites at all income levels. In comparable income groups, the average household spends 1.3 times more than the average Black household. So if it's not overspending that is leaving Black workers with less money to invest in their retirement, what accounts for these discrepancies? To answer, this can once again be found in the tax code, which favors white family structures and the opportunities that go with them. Black families are far more likely than white families to accumulate what researchers call negative social capital. This is a structure that depletes black wealth and restricts mobility and growth potential. Many black women and men in corporate America stretch their salaries to support extended family members who haven't had the same wealth building opportunities. By helping their parents or helping their siblings or helping their grandparents, each of them actually reduces their ability to provide for themselves or their children. And they are doing this with after-tax dollars in a tax system that disadvantages most Black families. If you talk to anybody today and ask them, are you helping to financially support someone in your immediate family? Sibling, parents, are you a caregiver? All of those things affect your ability to hold on to and build wealth. And as the writer here is talking about it, as an expert on it, it's after-tax dollars that they're using to do this. For example, Rachel, even while living in public housing to pay down her student loans, sent money home to her grandmother. Chris, the other graduate student, lives with her parents and contributes to their household expenses. John, the homeowner who we read about in chapter two, moved to a white neighborhood with a better school system, but also sends money to his parents and worries about how to account for it on his son's college financial aid applications. That is sort of what we call invisible care. You don't deduct it from your taxes, which means, he says, that as his sons are applying to these elite schools and they do their tuition calculation, they see more income there than there really is. I'm afraid it's going to be beyond our means to be able to pay for it honestly and keep everybody that we're supporting intact. Now assume you get a high paying job with the same salary and benefits enjoyed by your white peers. If you have a family member who was denied access to wealth building perks because of their race, you are more likely to provide some financial support for them, meaning you won't be able to build wealth as easily as your white peers. And while there are certain tax breaks that come with having children, parents qualify for child tax credits and an increase in earned income tax credits. Payments to parents or anyone who doesn't legally qualify as a dependent are not deductible because as discussed in the previous chapter that we read, they are considered personal family and living expenses. 
The tax code subsidizes certain familiar relationships, but not all. So, like some of us who may be um, supporting our family members or having to support them for an extended period of time because they're dealing with a financial hardship, you don't get to count that on your taxes. <laughs> okay? Rachel, Chris, and John are not unique among Black college graduates who are more likely to provide financial support to their parents, while white college graduates are more likely to receive financial support from their parents, which they can use to buy a home or pay for their education while their black counterparts continue renting or take out student loans. Add this to the fact that black workers are less likely to get a marriage-based tax cut and more likely to pay a singles penalty and that if they've sold a home, the chances are higher that they sold it at a non-deductible loss. Then add in the fact that they may have high student loan debt and may be unable to deduct all of their interest. Black workers simply do, <clears throat> simply have to make their dollars go further than their white peers do. These financial constraints don't just leave black families with less disposable income, they leave them unable to make significant contributions to their retirement accounts. So even if an employer is matching their contribution, they may not be able to maximize the benefit. They also means that when black employees do have retirement accounts, they are more likely to make what's called a hardship withdrawal, taking money out of the account before they retire in order to pay a bill or deal with some other pressing financial need. Oftentimes, that can be um, medical needs as well. Hardship withdrawals are taxed aggressively. I know I've had to take one, um, what, about a decade ago, and it was not fun. <laughs> Lost a lot of money. But as she said, hardship withdrawals are taxed aggressively, and they are paternalis paternalistically Aggressively, aggressively taxed, and they're taxed unfairly. I think that's probably one of the worst tax penalties you can have is that hardship uh, withdrawal. When you put money into your retirement account, tax policy allows it to remain there untaxed until you retire. Make an early withdrawal or turn 72. But if you take an early withdrawal prior to turning 59 and a half, the penalties are steep. If you've ever done it, you know what I'm talking about. Not only is the withdrawal included in your taxable income, but the government also levies an additional 10% income tax penalty. The penalty is designed as a deterrent to discourage withdrawals, but early retirement account withdrawals are generally a last resort. If employees could get the money elsewhere, hello, <laughs> Through a loan or a gift from family or from savings, they would not be withdrawing it from their retirement accounts. So it's not surprising that black employees who have fewer of these kinds of resources to draw on are significantly more likely to take hardship withdrawals. Now, since that time, I have made up in my mind to never try to take one of those again. Um, but like she said, it does provide a severe penalty um, to utilize your money before those ages. All right, that is my stopping place for today. 
If you want to know the book that I'm reading from, I think every black family should read it. I think black college students should read it. Um, definitely married couples should read it. It is called The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It. Because the goal is to not just know what the problem is, but the goal is also to learn how to fix it. How can we work around what the policy is at the current time? This is a book that was written uh, fairly recently. So the information about tax laws and policies and things that have been passed are fairly current. Uh, we know those things may change in a little bit because we know that um, Trump's policies, I think his tax policies expire um, 2024 or 2025, but this is based on what is currently happening with tax policy. So I, again, I encourage you to get it. We started reading it back in, uh, what, October, November, sometime around there, and we're just working our way through it. And I had hoped to be done by tax season time. And we are, hmm, hmm we're about 60% done. So get this book. I know it's available. I think it's also available as an audio. So if you want to do it as an audio book and listen to it while you drive or whatever, highly recommend it. All right. I want to thank you all for your time and attention today. I have to roll out. But this has been another episode of Daring Dialogues. And I've been your host today, Shantae Charles. I will be back on Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with Monday Motivation. I hope that you all have a great and wonderful day. Um, I'm going to take one brief comment uh, here, it looks like, from Pastor Ben, and then I've got to roll out for the day. But I do thank you all for tuning in to listen. Pastor Ben, I think it is bringing you in. Good morning. Good morning. I've got one, one thing. Mm -hmm. One thing, and that's it. I was going to say anything if you went to that last part about the retirement. But uh, I saw this video where this Republican uh, lawmaker, House, I say the House Republicans, talking about raising the retirement age because employers or employees what raising the retirement uh, yeah. raising the retirement age yeah because employees want to work longer no they want to work longer well everybody he's talking to wants to work longer and i'm like what did you talk to <laughs> <laughs> apparently you're talking wealthy people right didn't didn't they already they raise the retirement age they want to do it again yeah, they, they've already raised the retirement age. And I'm like, yeah. people. Yeah, they want, they want to keep your money. Right. Well, not only that. They want to keep your money. Not only just wanting to keep your money, but um, they're actually adding other people to be able to receive benefits who have not contributed to the labor system in America at all. Namely, Ukrainians. Yeah. 
people need to pay attention. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's a whole problem. That's a whole problem. Yeah, we don't need to raise the retirement age. We need to do better about the benefits being offered to people who are employed. And, you know, I would think that there would be some kind of legislation passed to provide benefits for people in those other sectors that don't get benefit options at all. Why are we not working on that? Why are we not working on that? This is the thing. We don't want Americans to have opportunities. We want to help other countries. This has always been one of America's, to me, personal, just country issues. We, We are always in everyone else's business and not really taking care of the business here at home in a, in a full way. The thing is, this is the part of saying America first. <laughs> yeah, we right? know that. America first, but not for, the, not for, unless you're wealthy, if you're wealthy, then yeah, America first, but if you're not, we don't want to help y'all, but we, we're going to go across the, you know, the ocean from somebody else that's got nothing to do with us. We, we prefer to do that than to give you free health care, give you free uh, college education, all that good stuff like that. See, we'll give them billions of dollars and go way deeper in debt before we help our own people. I mean, the people who are getting those things free are typically not American citizens. Right. I'm just saying, we have no. we have black citizens who can't afford half of the thing that non-citizens are getting for free. And my thing is, it's okay if you want to take care of other people, but what are you doing for your own citizens? And why are they at the end of the line for getting services and help? They're at the end of the line, and they're your citizens. Uh Uh But that's a conversation for another day. (laughs) Pastor Ben, thank you for bringing that up. This has been another episode of Daring Dialogues, and I've been your host today, Shantae Charles. Again, I want to thank you for your time and attention and tuning in. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So go out and be what, Pastor Ben? Light. Be light. Take care, everyone. And if you'd like to join us on Sunday, you can go to our Facebook page, Life Nation, where we have Sunday Dialogue at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Take care and God bless.